0: sarcoma insight
1: sarcoma insight this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors
0: welcome everyone Uh, today we will be discussing osteochondromas as well as osteoid osteomas Uh, in the previous episodes we uh, we had the month of july which was sarcoma awareness month and I had an episode where we uh, hosted Dr. DiCaprio, Sarcoma Strong, and also had the chance to highlight Sarcoma Alliance. I think it was a very uh, successful month, and we're very happy with how it went. Um, Prior to that, we had talked about enchondromas as the previous topic that we had discussed, which is a benign uh, cartilage tumor that occurs within the bone. And this was done by Dr. Kemp, uh, and then that leads us to our continuation now with two more benign tumors uh, that we'll be talking about before we go any further. uh, I just wanted to see how you've been uh, at least since our last episode.
1: Yeah. Things have been good. Uh, You know, it's, it's nice to have some consistent nice weather in summer. And, you know, I think every year when you live in a place with seasons, which I haven't necessarily done my whole life, uh, (laughs) I, I definitely appreciate when the weather's warmer. So um, things are good trying to spend time outside when the weather's nice as much as possible, though in new England, we've had quite a bit of rain too. So, um, we even had a tornado warning today, which is a little unusual up here, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good. How about yourself? Izu? How are things going?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Things are going well. Uh, it's interesting. You talk about heat, I guess this is like, this was the uh, hottest July in history, I guess, and recorded history. Um, so yeah, things, things are heating up, but honestly, I, um, I could do without the seasons, you know, I, I prefer, <laughs> I prefer warm, a warmth, uh, year round. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so I think my, my move, uh, to, to Mississippi has been has been wonderful, definitely in terms of the weather and in terms of the very nice people. And uh,
1: do you want to tell us more about uh, your move to Mississippi? And I think that's uh, you have some very exciting news to share with
0: that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, an assistant professor uh, here at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in the Department of Orthopedics. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited about that move down with the dog. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, and all settled in. Waiting for a few uh, pieces of furniture to ship in, uh, but but very happy so far. So excited about that.
1: They're very lucky to have you and your dog. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks.
1: And
0: you and you have some some news too. Did you uh, you recently uh, finished fellowship?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So I finished. Yes, the second fellowship, second and last fellowship. Well, at least out of a a formal fellowship, I should say. I'm hoping to do a traveling fellowship in the future, but obviously with COVID, the kind of plans for that have been on hold. But uh, yes, I finished my adult hip and knee reconstruction fellowship uh, at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Um, And I've been uh, sticking around actually at the hospital to continue to help out with the trauma service there, which has been. Fun and exciting. Um, doing some good cases. Uh, obviously, trauma is Very busy in the summertime, and uh, so I've had some uh, uh, challenging but uh, exciting cases that I've done. So it's been good.
0: But that's, yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, you 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 touch on a good point, which is you you're planning even to do another traveling fellowship soon. In that, in medicine, we are pretty much lifelong learners. And always learning, and always trying to add to our knowledge base and improve. So,
1: absolutely, good yeah, absolutely, stuff. good yeah. stuff. Always learning that never never ends. But whether you whether you end up in a field with academic medicine or not, um, you continue to have to stay up on the the latest trends and information and research so um yeah definitely always learning never stop so it's very an exciting part of the the process i think but um any other any other things that you've been doing i I know you've been busy starting the new job and everything but uh have you maybe read any new books or uh do you have anything else to tell us about that we uh myself and the listeners should know about
0: um, yeah, I, mean, I probably started a couple uh, new books recently. Um, one that does uh, sort of stick out that I've been reading is uh, called uh, Can't Hurt Me uh, by David Goggins, I believe is his name. So it's really a book about his life, but also the different ways that he feels that you can uh, master your mind and and uh, lead you to become a peak performer uh, in whatever you do. So. Uh, who knows? I I didn't know that I could do more than I do now, but it it might be in the it might be in the cards in the future after I finish this book.
1: Yeah, well, that's very interesting. Yeah, you're always you're always coming up with uh, new books that I should check out um, and that I need to add to my never ending list of of, <laughs> of uh, recommended books. But no, that one sounds really really interesting. So we'll have to look for it.
0: And uh, enough about that talk. Um, to get back to our topics of discussion for today, the, the first of which is an osteochondroma. So would you uh, at least like to tell us what an osteochondroma is?
1: Yeah, um, so osteochondromas are in fact the most common bone tumor that we see. This is a benign lesion or non-cancerous lesion. Um, and I think that Dr. Kemp and our one of our recent episodes did a really good job of kind of describing the difference between benign and malignant lesions or uh, recapped on that, I should say, but this is a benign uh, bone tumor that we see. The actual estimates are unknown because a lot of people with this uh, are asymptomatic. Um, So estimates for incidence of osteochondroma are unknown since most people are asymptomatic, but the literature that we have does say that it accounts for approximately 20 to 50 percent of all bone tumors that uh, people come to the office for, um, and that's that's the best guess that we have um, for how how commonly it occurs. But in brief, the way I would describe it is that it's a benign surface bone lesion that has a cartilage cap, so it grows on the surface of the bone, um, and there's different types. It can be either have a stalk. We call that pedunculated, um, or it can be more within the bone. We call that sessile usually, but the defining feature of it, and this is important both for our learners who may be listening as well as patients, they may hear this when uh, their doctor is describing it, but it has corticomedullary continuity. So that's how we define um, an osteochondroma on imaging is that The outside of the lesion and the inside, so the cortex and the medullary component, are continuous with the bone. So that's our key term, I would say, corticomedullary continuity.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're going to come back to that word. I guess, would it be one word or two, those two words, uh, again, uh, over the course of this episode?
1: Yeah, that's definitely a key phrase to know with osteochondromas. And so our other topic today is an osteoid osteoma. So, easy, do you want to describe for us what an osteoid osteoma is?
0: Yes. So uh, osteoid osteomas they are benign lesions. So um, they are non-cancerous lesions. And they are uh, really an area of bone that has a certain degree of increased vasculature to so increased blood flow as well as uh, some change in the bone formation around the area, which leads to what's called a sclerotic bone. The combination of these things uh, can be painful and it's been shown to be related to uh, previous trauma or inflammatory processes. It's not uh, really certain, but we do know that they uh, account for approximately 10% of all benign uh, tumors of bone.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and Again, so I think to, just to highlight, these are both benign processes. These are benign bone tumors, and that's the common linkage between these two uh, lesions that, that we're talking about today.
0: And at least who would get diagnosed? And if you um, uh, can answer this for me, who would be likely to be diagnosed with an osteochondroma or even an osteo- osteoma?
1: Yeah. Um, so, we'll start with osteochondromas. These are commonly seen in young patients. So, this could be in their teens to 20s, probably the second to third decade of life. Um, and, and that's a common demographic in which we see them. But other patients that we'll see them in as well as patients who have a, uh, a syndrome called MHE or Multiple hereditary exostoses or familial osteochondromatosis. Uh, this is an autosomal dominant process, and it occurs in approximately one per fifty to one hundred thousand people. So, uh, overall, not terribly common. Um, but the people who have this this syndrome or disorder get uh, many osteochondromas throughout their entire body, so they'll they'll typically be followed by an orthopedic oncologist throughout the course of their life. Um, and we'll talk about why that is a little bit later. So, but it's very important for patients who have many of these osteochondromas to to be monitored. Um, and just to kind of jump ahead, but it's because of the risk that these benign lesions may turn into a cancerous process in the future, which is low risk, but higher in patients with this process uh, than in those who have a solitary or single osteochondroma. Um, And then just to cover your other question, but osteoid osteomas also are typically seen in young patients and fairly similar age group, probably slightly younger overall, but this can be in patients who are from age five to about 25 years old is, is uh, probably, that probably covers the majority of patients who we see with osteoid osteomas. So to talk a little bit more about what these are and where they're commonly seen, um, EZ, do you want to go ahead and tell us where in the body these both osteochondromas and osteoid osteomas are seen?
0: Yes. I mean, I think it's good that we can discuss both of these topics, although um, uh, they're different in some ways. They have a lot of similarities. Uh, One being that they do occur in a younger population, like we just talked about, but also in the the locations that they occur. And so the long bones, uh, so especially the femur and the tibia, are very, very common. So this is this will end up being around the knee so mostly around the distal femur as well as the proximal tibia um it can occur for osteochondromas they can also occur in other areas like the humerus and in other flat bones around the pelvis and the ribs whereas osteodosteomas although mostly in the long bones sometimes can occur in other areas like around the foot and the ankle Um, And the bone, the talus bone, and I like talus bone because it is, um, it's a very odd shape. Um, But yes, it could also occur in the talus. Uh, And we've said in previous episodes, based on where these tumors can occur, even though they are benign, they can become very problematic to a patient or a person who would have these tumors. Um, As you can imagine, if Things or there are other structures nearby, neurovascular structures, for example, um, that run closer. And if an osteochondroma was to uh, be abutting those or compressing those, then that would lead to other issues um, as well.
1: Yeah. So just because something is not cancerous doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be uh, symptoms related to it that you present to a doctor for or have concerns regarding. Um, and I think that you mentioned a really uh, interesting point about osteochondromas that they're commonly seen around the knee, like the distal femur or the proximal tibia. Um, and that is is interesting because that's a site of very active growth plates in, in the lower leg. And that's a very common site for osteochondromas to be seen is, is right next to a growth plate. Uh, typically you'll see them near a growth plate and then they're growing away from the growth plate actually. And so the, they can, some of the symptoms can be related to some of the things that we see in and around those, those regions.
0: Yeah. And so can you, I know there can be a plethora of symptoms or sort of depending on where things end up or where, um, where the, The tumor or lesion is located, but can you give us some of the uh, typical presentations uh, for the osteochondromas?
1: Yeah. So as you might imagine, since this, as we've been describing it, that this is a a bump on the surface of the bone. So uh, that's one of the things that someone might notice is a mass or a lump in that area. That's one of the, the things that people typically come into the office describing when they first notice uh, an osteochondroma is a mass. Uh, also, because they occur near growth plates, uh, sometimes this can lead to abnormal growth or uneven growth, depending on which side of the growth plate it's on. And so there can be deformity related to that as well. Uh, there's some common deformities that we hear Described in the setting of patients with that MHE that I described earlier, but mass and deformity are definitely two of the common syndromes or symptoms that patients uh, present with. Another thing, so around the knee, for example, this is probably the most common way that I've seen it before is that patients describe a pain from bursitis, so from uh, tendons uh, that run nearby to the of that the Rub against the the lesion as they're running, walking, or uh, or whatnot, and so that can be that can be very painful for patients to have tendons that uh, uh, rub on the osteochondroma, and less commonly, but also something that can be a concern is that it can cause pressure on local vascular or neural structures in the area. Um, but I'd say the the three most common symptoms would be the mass pain from a bursitis or uh deformity is is one of the other things. Yeah. So Whereas, in contrast, yeah. yeah, you'll it sounds like you're gonna start talking about it then. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was, I was about osteomas. In. yeah oh,
0: it's Yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and you know osteomas um they they mostly present with pain. Um I talked about this a bit earlier in the beginning. They're There's increased vasculature in the area. There's some change to the bone. Uh, As a result, there are high levels of uh, what we call prostaglandins, but these are um, what the body secretes pretty much uh, that causes pain. And so uh, a very common uh, complaint that people will have is pain, especially pain at night. And then this pain is often relieved by uh, anti-inflammatories, uh, non-steroid or anti-inflammatories, such as aspirin. Uh, and this happens because aspirin, um, by itself uh, is able to block these prostaglandins and that leads to the pain being relieved when people take the aspirin. Um, and so that's usually the most common presentation for people with osteoid osteomas. And when, when, Patients present with either of these, whether they have an osteochondroma or the osteoid osteoma, we would have to obtain imaging studies. And so, um, at least, what imaging studies would you want uh, for the osteochondromas, um, if any?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. And some of our listeners may already be catching on to this pattern already by now. But the first thing that we always get in patients who have. A bone lesion or what we think might be a bone lesion is x-rays. It's a very simple, easy, and relatively inexpensive to get compared to some of the other imaging studies we might obtain. But x-rays are very commonly the first uh, line in terms of our diagnostic process. So an x-ray in the situation of an osteochondroma is going to show uh, what we would call an exophytic growth from the bone. So it's growing away from the bone um, and is on the surface. And I mentioned that there's those two different types of osteochondromas. Um, can be either pedunculated where there's a stalk where it's growing out and away from the bone or a sessile lesion where it's more of a fusiform swelling or just swelling, the local swelling of the bone. Uh, and that's what that will look like on x-ray. Other studies that may be obtained and can be useful would be either a CT scan or an MRI, CT scan is essentially three-dimensional series of uh, uh, X-rays essentially. So we can look at uh, slices through the bone in three different planes. And, uh, and this will show the same thing that we will see with an MRI, uh, but with a slightly different detail. The CT scan highlights the, the bony structure itself. Whereas the MRI can give us a little bit more information about the cartilage, but this will show that uh, growth from the bone along with the cartilage cap uh, in very good detail. And again, our, our phrase that we said we'd be highlighting throughout the episode, but you'll see that corticomedullary continuity very clearly um, on x ray, CT scan, and the MRI. And that's uh, very important. And then osteoid easy if you want to talk about what our imaging studies will find, will show in that case.
0: Osteoid osteomas, I would say probably in this scenario, x-rays you usually get first. And what you see in the x-rays are generally what's called a nidus, which is uh, just a circular area of uh, lysis or lucency um, that's within the bone. And the, the important thing with the osteomas is, is the size. They usually are um, about or below two centimeters in size. And the actual size can be confirmed if you would get a CT scan. So CT scans end up being very useful, this, useful for this. At um, least just made a good point in that in evaluating bony detail, the CT scan is very important and helpful. And that's why it is key Uh, For both of these diagnoses, for osteoid osteomas, MRIs are not as helpful uh, as the CT scan would be. Um, And so for these, you would want to get the x-ray and the CT scan. And usually by then you'd be able to get a diagnosis. And as long as it does not exceed two centimeters, then we know that we are dealing with uh, osteoid osteoma. If it's uh, similar to this and it's uh, larger than two centimeters, then we'll be talking about a different diagnosis, um, but we'll get into that uh, shortly in our differential diagnosis section. Um, and probably the next thing we should talk about, we already uh, briefly uh, touched upon it, um, is the malignant potential for these, um, if, if you can. Yeah.
1: yeah so I, I already mentioned this a little bit, um, but we talk about this as malignant transformation or malignant potential or risk. And that just means the risk that this benign process, a non-cancerous lesion, can turn into something that's malignant uh, or cancerous. And pretty much any benign process has this potential, but uh, we like to be able to define that a little bit better. So it's very rare for both of these, but for osteochondromas, it's been defined in some the literature that we have available is being as low as one percent, um, and there's some studies that suggest that in MHE that this is is higher and in the three to five percent range. Um, the cartilage cap is is extremely important in evaluating whether or not an osteochondroma has transformed into a malignant process or helps define the risk level for transformation into a malignant process. And so usually we say around two to three centimeters is a good cutoff for when we would be concerned about an osteochondroma having transformed into a malignant process. So um, that we we mentioned on uh, prior episodes, I think that the MRI is extremely useful for this
0: uh, yeah. So, yeah. So at least you said on previous episodes, uh, our, our listeners are going to get really good at, at looking at MRIs or at least knowing I have an idea what they're looking at. But car- cartilage is bright on the T2 sequence on MRIs because it has a high water content. And so, you know, that's uh, where we'd be able to visualize this cartilage cap correct
1: correct yeah yeah exactly so and that's the sequence that we'll look at the most in order to determine uh whether or not that there's a high risk of uh malignant transformation of the osteochondroma that's being evaluated by your physician um so in in contrast osteoid osteomas it's you can kind of cut right to the point but what would you say about the the potential for osteoid osteoma disease. Yeah.
0: I mean from what we know, um, there there's no malignant potential to this. It is a true and true benign disease of bone with no known malignant potential, um that at least that we know of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's uh, important to know, but it can still, you know, it, it can still generate symptoms that are very problematic for our patients. So they're not uncommon for us to see a clinic, despite them uh, being completely uh, non-cancerous.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. They're very painful. And so, yes. Um, and that leads us to our next area of discussion, which would be the uh, potential other diagnoses that, could, that we could be looking at when we have osteochondromas or osteoid osteomas?
1: Yes. Yeah. So we would say that our differential diagnosis list for osteochondromas generally includes the following three things. So chondrosarcoma, number one, uh, that's what we would be worried about. And that's something that could happen in the future, as we just discussed. That's uh, generally what these would transform into in a malignant process. Uh, but so that's that malignant cartilage tumor that we've uh, discussed already in a prior episode.
0: episode number three
1: episode number three yes, if our listeners want to jump to it and learn more about that again. Um, the other two things that are big on our differential diagnosis for this would be a par osteal osteosarcoma so it's par because um, that sounds kind of similar to periosteal osteosarcoma, which is di- a different thing altogether, but par osteal osteosarcoma. so this is a surfaced, Based osteosarcoma. Um, that's relatively uncommon, but that would be on the differential diagnosis as well. And we'll probably touch on that on our in our future episode on osteosarcomas. And then the last thing, which is a benign process, would be a uh, juxtacortical chondroma. So this is a different cartilage tumor, again, that occurs on the surface uh, of the bone, uh, typically near a joint. But um, those would be the three things that we would primarily be thinking of on the differential diagnosis. And on the other hand, for osteoid osteomas, um, we can talk about the
0: yeah, our and- differential
1: diagnosis list for that.
0: Right and and just really quickly before, um, I I talk about that the osteochondromas when you do look at the evaluate for differential diagnosis, nothing on this list has the cortical continuity and so that would really be very important in helping you rule these
1: out. Great point. Um, our our osteo- our word of the day. Yeah, it comes yes. back
0: again. Word of the day. Um, for osteochondromas, we talked about them being uh, about two centimeters or less once they um, have a similar lesion with a nidus or a central area um, that's larger than two centimeters then we want to start thinking of a different diagnosis which is an osteoblastoma which will be on our next episode uh other uh options would be a chondroblastoma, which is also on our next episode. Infection is also something that we have to keep in mind whenever there's a lesion of bone where there is a nidus or some area of lysis or missing bone.
1: Yeah. And sorry, I'm just getting excited because I've always found it to be a fun term, but in kids, when we see this process that looks similar, they call it a Brody's abscess. So it has a fun eponym, but Uh, And it's generally very treatable with uh, a surgery as well.
0: So what would be our treatment options or interventions for people who present with an osteochondroma?
1: Yeah. So, of course, conservative management is always going to be appropriate, which means just watchful waiting or uh, management of symptoms with uh, non-surgical techniques such as uh, anti-inflammatory medications would probably work well for some of our patients with asymptomatic osteochondroma as well. If they were having that bursitis or um pain from a tendon rubbing in the area, uh physical therapy potentially could be useful as well as well uh along with ice or other treatments along those lines. But if it becomes symptomatic to the point where uh those things are not helping anymore, then the surgical uh, Treatment for this would be resection or excision. And the important part here is just excising it completely from the base of the stock. If it's a pedunculated form or in the sessile form, you have to do a little bit more of a geometric cut, but you want to remove the osteochondroma in its entirety uh, and not get into the lesion at all. Uh, also, you might remove it if you thought that it were at a higher risk of. Um, or we concerning for any malignant potential based on the cartilage cap size. So, um, I think that kind of brings up a good point when we're talking about the risk of malignant potential, we always wonder whether or not there would be a role for, for biopsy. Um, I think that most people would feel that biopsy in this situation is generally not, uh, extremely helpful. Usually that cartilage cap size is what we would say would be, um, the most useful when determining whether or not there could be a risk. And if there were a concern, most people would not biopsy it, but would in fact just excise the uh, lesion of concern for an osteopondrioma. Um, right. Would you agree and, with that or anything yeah, uh, different to have, say? And,
0: and then have it evaluated under um,
1: a microscope, you know, under the microscope uh, yeah.
0: for a for final diagnosis. Uh, and and the treatment is pretty similar uh, for osteoid osteomas. That they can get excised. Uh, another option treatment option for osteoid osteomas, or um, they can uh, undergo uh, ablation, a radiofrequency ablation, uh, which is performed uh, sort of through the skin uh, with small incisions or percutaneously uh, can be done. Uh, and these also can go away on their own over time. And uh, really, for this, it's not really a role for biopsy. And often, um, you know, you can get an idea with the history as well as the confirming uh, imaging. And, you know, I guess rarely, if if you cannot uh, get the proper imaging or um, diagnose based on history, then maybe a biopsy is necessary. Uh, But it's rare that that will be the case. Uh, these are nine lesions. So, uh, in terms of surveillance, you know, there's not much uh, for them. There is a slight uh, chance, uh, extremely rare chance, that the osteochondromas could recur or grow back uh, from where they've been uh, taken off, but that is rare. Um, so yeah. Then, and
1: ge- generally, kind of as mentioned, that would be if it were incompletely excised um, for, exactly. in any way where the cartilage cap was violated at some point. And that would generally be when that could occur. But yes, I agree. It's extremely rare.
0: Exactly. And then um, same for the osteoarosteoma. It's not really surveillance in any way. So uh, we should uh, summarize uh, some salient points for this episode.
1: Uh, yeah. So I'll talk about uh, some of the highlights for osteochondroma since I think I cu- took most of the questions for that. So again, we'll go back to our, our vocab term of the episode. And that is that corticomedullary continuity is what defines osteochondromas uh, on imaging and helps us uh, differentiate it from other concerning cancer lesions that could look otherwise fairly similar. Um, that corticomedullary continuity is extremely important for defining uh, what this lesion is. The other important point for osteochondromas is that they have a, a small but real chance of malignant um, uh, transformation.
0: And uh, uh, like, uh, are benign uh, bone lesions uh, with no known malignant potential. And they are Painful and they present with night pain uh, that is often improved with uh, non steroidal anti inflammatories. And this is a result of the prostaglandin response uh, that does occur at the area of the nidus and lesion. Um, and I think those are probably the main things for this. Um,
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think this was a great um, episode covering two very common benign bone lesions today.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> my,
0: my favorite word catchphrase uh, it is important to note that every patient's case is unique and a treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on the discussion with your uh, team of physicians uh, if you would like more information please feel free to check out the links on our episode description uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of sarcoma insight if you enjoyed the show please make sure you hit subscribe follow us on instagram and twitter um Next episode, we will be discussing osteoblastomas and chondroblastomas. Sarcoma Insight.